Welcome to the Keeney Interviews. Through this series, you will meet leading practitioners from the water sector and hear their stories. Together, we will address water challenges and discuss how best to face them. Keeney is the Malaysian word for current, and this initiative promotes the flow of ideas within the water sector. Hello, today's interview is with Mark Pasco. Mark is currently the Chief Executive Officer of the International Water Center, and in today's interview, he speaks with me about leadership, and quite a bit about leadership. Uh, he speaks about boundary-spanning leadership and leaderships that cut across silos and organizations. We also speak about how not only individuals, but also organizations can be leaders, and ways that partnership organizations embody this kind of leadership. We also speak about collaboration, and we speak about the importance of mentoring and coaching. So with that, I invite you to enjoy this Kinney interview with Mark Pasco. I'm Karen Delfo. So Mark Pasco, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me and to share your insights and experience. And I'm wondering if we can start, if you wouldn't mind to just give a little bit of your background and, um, and let people who don't already know you know a little bit about your history and what you're up to. Sure. Um, thanks, Karen. Good to talk. Um, uh, I've um, I've been working for, um, for for a long time in the water sector, and I I started started my my career uh, in in the science end of water, if you like. The, I'm, I'm a perhaps a water quality guy. I worked in laboratories. I studied uh, chemistry. Or applied chemistry, uh, and um, really my training there was was as a as a chemical technologist almost. Uh, and I decided I, I wanted to study a bit of um, engineering. I was working with a lot of engineers, uh, and at that time in the early 80s uh, in in Australia uh, was a um, the beginnings of this discipline called environmental engineering. So I. I did a master's in, in that space. I've worked in um, then in, in local government in that water area. I've worked in uh, consulting uh, for a few years, um, environmental engineering consultancy firm. Uh, I, I worked also as the manager of water and sewage in, in Brisbane. Uh, I worked then, I moved overseas and I worked in London for the International Water Association, and that's where I got a, uh, I suppose, an appreciation of uh, of the world of water, really, uh, beyond beyond uh, beyond Brisbane and, and Australia, and and so then I've I've um, taken on the role that I'm in now with the International Water Centre, uh, in fact, 12 years ago, and uh, enjoying sharing. Uh, Australia's um, uh, learning learnings in in uh, in water management with the rest of the world, or trying to facilitate that. Can we step back to your role with the IWA? Because I know that that was, um, in a sense, a role that opened you up to the world of partnerships, and um, also through that role, you gained quite a bit of international recognition in in the work that you did. Yeah, sure. So I, IWA, I'd been involved in in 
in associations. Uh, in fact, in the Australian Water Association, I, I was the president in the mid '90s. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, so uh, it was sort of my, it was the hobby part of me almost, uh, uh, or, or the club part of uh, being involved in the industry, but uh, you know, outside day-to-day working. Uh, so when this opportunity came up to work for IWA uh, and and our children hadn't left home, we left home uh, and went to went went to London. IWA uh, has members in 130 countries. It has some fairly significant partnerships with the likes of the World Health Organization. Uh, you know, some of the UN agencies, uh, well, probably most of the UN agencies, uh, with with water in their title or water with or water in their um, remit. Um, organizations like Global Water Partnership. Uh, uh, World Water Council, IWA was a founding member of the World Water Council. So, so you know, I, I landed into this n- network really of uh, of not only individual members but company members, and then these sort of significant relationships or partnerships uh, in in this perhaps somewhat closed water world. Not closed so much as. Um, uh, it's not that big, you know. Uh, pe- people in water, uh, I-, I think, are wired a particular way you know, in terms of the way they, um, uh, the the values that drive them. Uh, so there's a bit of a camaraderie. Uh, doesn't matter whether you're in the private sector part or the public sector part of 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 water. Uh, there's a um, uh, I think it, it it attracts a particular sort of person. I think about the small world of water on one hand, and then I think about the the depth of the discipline, in a sense, and the yeah, yeah the different ways that people implement it, and the kind of the difference. I've been doing a lot of thinking around the difference between those who are driving the decision making and those who are setting the policies and those who are really at the top of the organizations synthesizing everything that's happening and those who are out in the field and implementing it and then you have the people who are sort of coming up and starting to learn about new approaches and um, I, I'm just very interested in that depth uh, of water and I think the water center where you're at now is doing an outstanding job of really first of all developing the capacity and, and building up um, professionals to be able to understand and implement integrated water management, but also um, doing innovative projects in the space as well as leading that top level discourse, which is you're hitting on all those <laughs> levels. Um, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, it is interesting, and thanks for the thanks for sort of recognizing and um, appreciating that. I think I think we. Um, yeah, in IWC we do, we do want to go up and down that. Um, uh, well, that you called it the depth, and I think that's that, that's valid. And there's also the breadth, of course. One of the things we wanted to do in IWC, and if I go back into into my past, into when I was the manager of water and sewage in Brisbane, which was then followed by going to IWA. Um, 
that that was where I started to get, uh, I, I think, an appreciation of, uh, you know, that my chemistry and engineering background just wasn't enough. You, you know, the uh, this water world uh, is is complex in a in a uh, in a disciplinary sense. Uh, so I found, uh, you know, in in in, in that uh, Department of Water and Sewage in Brisbane, I my team around me was a uh, was a, a you know there was a social I had a social scientist I had an accountant I had a um, an asset manager I had a technology expert I had an environmental manager so you, you know you know we needed to gather around those um, those those disciplines and actually start uh, to um, to find out what the Esperanto was, I don't know that there was one really, but uh, uh, there, there at least had to be a um, uh, some sort some sort of Google Translate, uh, you, know, you know, for us to uh, across those disciplines. Uh, across those disciplines, yeah, yeah, and, and 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 I think that then you know that that goes out into into the institutions that you're in, you know, there's, uh, the, there are the boundaries between institutions. You, you referred to that policy space before, Karen, and, and, and uh, what I refer to sometimes is the notion of boundary-spanning leadership, in fact, where, where you need champions. Uh, uh, and this goes to that transformational discussion a little bit but you, you know you need champions uh, across across uh, institutions to to achieve to achieve the change and those champions need to um, uh, you know well they need to f be able to find the coffee shop where they can uh, you know where they can cook up the cook up the deals and the tactics and the strategies etc it's uh, I, I think I think we it, we sometimes don't appreciate in water, and I'm sure in other sectors that uh, um, that the, there is an inherent uh, complexity uh, uh, that that needs to be needs to be understood by by a fair proportion of the people in it, and, and then and then managed. And you mentioned boundary spanning lead, spanning leadership, and I'm yeah. wondering if you can kind of how would you define that. Uh, I think it's it, it is, and it's not it's not just people at the top of of organisations. So I'll just qualify my response with that. Um, it it is about people who are who are prepared to go outside their their hierarchical uh, comfort zone in their own institution, or even in their own department, uh, perhaps if it's a large institution. Um, and and actually develop relationships that that do cross boundaries, and it might even be a boundary from a uh, from a government organisation into an NGO or a government organisation into uh, I was going to say an environment organisation, but an, an environment NGO or a or a social uh, uh, NGO. You, you know, you it's those it's those those boundaries, that if you are able to span them uh, or, or or negotiate them uh, at a at a 
at an individual level at first, and then at and then at a uh, you know at a strategic level. Then uh, then I think that's when you that is when you can get some satisfaction from some little successes here and there. Uh, and you know, in Southeast Queensland, when I worked in in Brisbane City Council, and it still exists. Uh, there's a really good example of a of a of a bridging organisation, which is is something else that that um, I feel like sits in this boundary spanning space, and, and that is a uh, we, we were able to get healthy waterways established in its various names, and it's uh, now health, called Healthy Land and Water, and. Um, and to me, that's a really good example of a of a of, of a bridging organisation that, in fact, for many years, uh, didn't have its own corporate form. It was it was owned collectively. Uh, actually, to be honest, by a series of those champions who who uh, not a series but a group of those champions who 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 came together were able to influence upwards and outwards and. Um, uh, yeah, and and develop an organisation that 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 demonstrated a true leadership in that transformational space. Would you be able to almost tell the story of the Healthy Waterways Partnership and how it started and how it evolved? Is that is that a possibility? Yeah, that's a possibility. This is through Mark Pascoe eyes, at least. <laughs> Um, but you've seen it since the very beginning, so you'd have a pretty yes. interesting perspective, I think. Yeah, and and interestingly, I, I describe it sometimes as I was on the on the polluter end. Uh, so, um, in the early 1990s, I was managing wastewater treatment in Brisbane, and it was at that time that the that the then um, environmental regulator, I think it was an EPA, but it doesn't matter, let's just call it the environmental regulator, um, was, um, was starting to, starting to use language of, you know, best available technology, which you might remember was a language of back then. And this became a bit scary to, to, organizations who were on the polluting end if you like uh, and and so what what occurred in in Brisbane City Council at the time was uh, was a bit of a, a a movement to say well we're actually doing a pretty good job we know we could do a better job but we actually don't know what the um, what the issues are in the environment that we need to deal with so we started to started to work on the, the outcomes, if you like. What are the outcomes that we want? And of course, then we had to understand what it was that was the current condition. So there was a lot of work put into monitoring and evaluation and of of the uh, the water environment in southeast Queensland, which which is um, which had already been significantly impacted. We sort of ended up though with a bit of a vision that was that was around around um, uh, having uh, our grandchildren be able to see uh, dugong and sea turtle in, in Moreton Bay. You know, and in order to achieve that, you've got to have 
something for them to eat, and that's seagrass. And for seagrass to survive, then you can't keep uh, covering it with um, with sediment and nutrient. Uh, so this started then to drive, you know, sort of almost out of that values stuff, drive um, uh, investment back up the pipe. So we had actually ended up with ended up with this. This it was it started as a study, uh, became a um, became that a bridging organisation that I described, that actually had within within that organisation uh, two universities, CSIRO, the, the national government, uh, the state, a few departments of the state government, including the environment guys and the water resources guys. Um, uh, I think it was uh, 15 other um, industries in Brisbane and, and about 30 catchment groups. So, so there was this um, uh, partnership, indeed, uh, became called Healthy Waterways Partnership with a byline of we're all in the same boat, uh, and, and and effectively where we got to was was that there became a common goal didn't matter whether you were the the mayor of brisbane or the general manager of um of bp or or a fertilizer works uh, at the mouth of the brisbane river uh, or a catchment organization we're all focused on this uh, this this goal of protecting uh, the the nine rivers in southeast queensland and, and the bay so you've somehow been able to bring all these people together under this shared vision. It, I think it was actually probably a lot more complicated and difficult um, than yeah, the, yes. the initial picture. And I'm wondering if you can speak about how you were able to get people to kind of come around and, and find mutual benefit and actually become aligned. Sure. Um, uh, in, in fact, in fact, there there are there, there are a number of uh, in, ingredients, and I sort of touched on some of those in my uh, in my rosy description. Uh, uh, you know, one of one of them is one of them is champions, and and I think I did mention that earlier. And for healthy waterways, we, we had we had executive level. Champions of significance, and it was two mayors: the mayor of Brisbane and the mayor of Ipswich. Uh, and 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 they were the ones that, at a, at a very broad community level, who could who who could articulate or, or did articulate uh, that vision. But yes, there was there there were tensions. There were nine other uh, local nine other local governments in the region, and and they. They had different drivers, uh, as you suggest. You know, there's the economic uh, driver that's certainly strong in in Brisbane, but some of those are well, they all have economic drivers, but some of them are, are less uh, less significant than others. Some might be more lifestyle drivers, and uh, or or different industries. Uh, let's say at the Gold Coast, like tourism. Um, but 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 I'm I'm going in the rosy direction again. The the I think the, the the challenges, the challenges were things like finding the money. It was finding the money each year to spend this half a billion 
dollars. There are other pressures on uh, on, on infrastructure and, and investment needs for for the for the cities uh, in in the region. Um, what what Healthy Waterways allowed us to do was to be able to appropriately prioritise those um, uh, the, those investments as compared to an investment in, in Brisbane City, an investment in roads, or an investment in uh, uh, in in uh, green space, etc. And it wasn't one or the other. It was more about more about how much, uh, I, I suppose. Um, so there were tensions around uh, around financing. There were tensions around, uh, in fact, the science and and. Um, that was managed, I think, in a fairly clever way by by actually having the the, the scientists uh, as a group uh, reach consensus in their own space, if you like, rather than uh, trying to reach consensus in a public space. So, so that the politicians uh, and other decision makers were able to were able to get a um, a synthesis of the of the science, or, or a consensus that had developed around around the scientific analysis, and and this, I think, was another another potential place for tension. There was tension, but there was a way of of, of managing that, which was was uh, was the scientists actually coming out with fairly definitive. Uh, Answers to uh, to policy questions. So this science policy in interface uh, was an, another important one uh, in there to, to manage. So you know there were the, the the tensions, but also the things that needed to be addressed were things like money, uh, having having champions in place, and of course those two mayors, you know, are not not there in, in place anymore. Uh, so you know, you know you need um, you, you need the the leadership baton to be handed on to the next person, and sometimes that uh, sometimes there is no next person. So um, uh, I think I've seen the Healthy Waterways partnership, as it was called for many years, um, um, wax and wane in its uh, in in its um, you know, ability to get. It's job done, um, uh, and and with resources being financial resources mostly being a key key issue over time. How were they able to secure that kind of funding? I have a billion a year is not not a small chunk of change. Sorry, no, no. The, uh, let, let's be clear on that. The half a billion was the investment that went into sewage treatment. Health, healthy waterways needs. I, look, I'm not sure these days, but probably something like four or five million dollars a year to do its job, uh, and uh, which is not also not insignificant. You know, there's there's a uh, um, uh, the particularly state government and, and and local governments have been the ones who have who have underwritten that. Uh, there's been some wonderful. Science developed. There's some great products out there, uh, you know, in, in, as communication and campaign uh, uh, tools. Um, 
uh, you know, for everything from cleaning up uh, the bay, you know, litter campaigns to uh, uh, to you know getting plastic bottle tops out of the out of the bay because it harms turtles, through to through to the uh, the report card uh, that's handed to the politicians each year. So uh, there's a, a huge amount of collateral in there that's been developed. Um, uh, but yes, it's almost an annual process of, well, it is an annual process, in fact, of, of uh, getting commitment to, to, to funding. So I think it's a credit to this, this thing that was for a long time, you know, didn't even have a corporate form um, uh, to be able to uh, keep alive. Well, what what did occur is that it now is a it now is a, a, a company uh, with you know with the shareholding of the partners. Uh, so it it has a um, a stronger governance structure than it had in the past. In the past, where it was relying on on those uh, champions, it, it 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 has a something that's perhaps a little bit more sustainable in a governance. Sense. Can we um, step back to the the champions? Because it seems like champions is well, such a critical component of any sort of change or any collaborative initiative, like you're talking about. And yeah. I'm wondering how have how how do you identify and cultivate champions? <laughs> Gee, that's a good question. That sounds a bit <laughs> that sounded a bit agricultural, actually. <laughs> uh, um, I think they identify themselves uh, because almost, almost a um, you know a um, you know by definition a champion is, isn't uh, isn't going to be found under a rock. You're going to be able to to um, uh, you know to see a champion or see a champion's behaviour. Um, and I, I know what you mean, because sometimes you'll have a public forum, for example, and a couple of community individuals may step up and you say, wow, they really have something to say and people are really respecting their yeah. ideas and their thoughts. But so identifying them almost might even be the easiest part of it. But how do you, I yeah. guess, the how do you not just say, oh, they're really great. I'm going to have to remember them. And then all of a sudden you get on with your busy life and yes. you haven't been yeah. able to kind of cultivate them, I guess. And again, agriculture, but I think you need, Karen, I think you need a, um, a culture in the, in the, um, in, in institutions and organizations that allows space for those champions. And well, let, let's, uh, change the language slightly and, and, and say leaders, uh, uh, champions. You know, depends who's listening to this uh, recording. You know, champions and leaders, for that matter, in uh, in different languages, um, perhaps translates in different ways. But so, if we just uh, say leaders for for the moment, um, I think that. Um, you do need uh, institutional culture that that allows leaders to to 
if we go back to the agriculture to flourish, uh, to, to, to grow, to be able to, they sort of need permission, uh, particularly in that, perhaps that boundary spanning space that uh, we, we were talking about before where, where, where the leader need, leaders need to have the freedom to operate a little bit. Uh, uh, so there's something about institutional culture. I think we'll find that leaders will often find ways around that, mind you. Uh, uh, but also leaders uh, get tired, and I think I've seen that where you, where, where, where leaders will burn out. And in fact, those leaders don't necessarily uh, stand up in that room and you know, question a speaker. Uh, or make, you know, statements. Sometimes these, uh, the, sometimes I think I've seen some of the, the, this leadership activity that's that's a little more subtle than that. So, I, uh, and what do I mean? I mean, you know, someone who's, who's a good backroom guy, if you like, who, who's able to cause, uh, cause uh, relationships to be developed in a in a more facilitatory, facilitatory however you say that word, in a facilitating way. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's true. There's so many models of leadership out there. Yeah. So many different approaches where people yeah. can find their what makes sense for them and how they can become authentic leaders in in, in yes. their way. And I'm thinking particularly about that. I think it's a spectrum of authority where you have the very authoritative approach to leadership, which is being at the head of the organization, everybody looks up to this person in power and they use that authority to lead yes. or bring about. And then you have the sort of, I, I guess it's it's, um, it's not non-authoritative, but it's sort of inherent leadership where yes. it could even be you know somebody who's not seen to have any sort of seniority but they have really good ideas and people gravitate towards them and they're able to again cultivate these ideas uh, or yes. build upon these ideas and bring people together around these ideas and these ideas can kind of flourish or blossom and trickle up and um and create yeah. change yeah and i think of that sometimes as uh, i think i saw something some years ago that described various kinds of power you know the person at the top of the organization or the top of a, um, a particular hierarchy within an organisation, sort of has what I think of as legitimate power, and and uh, other other people might have personal power. They may be charming, for example. Uh, uh, so there's sort of there's these different ways of describing the 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 power that people have within a within an organisation, yeah. You know, one, one there's another sort of power is that um, uh, that sort of knowledge power. Someone who's really smart, you know, who and articulate, and who can uh, who can uh, translate. Uh, I was referring before to, to science. Who can translate science into uh, into a uh, a language that most people can understand. So, you know, there are different... I do think of it sometimes as uh, as, as power, uh, perhaps as much as we don't want to use that word these days. Yeah, I'm thinking about, I think it's uh, formal authority and informal authority in the spectrum, yeah. being able to navigate that spectrum and apply different models of authority depending on what you're trying to achieve and who you're working with. 
Yeah. And I'm, yeah. I'm thinking about the cultural context of Australia, the cultural context of the U.S., and the cultural context yes. of, say, some Asian, certain Asian countries or in Southeast Asia, um, where, where there, there are similar dynamics, but for different reasons. Yeah. Um, and in Australia, it's really interesting because of the tall poppy syndrome. Yes. And, uh, and so you would see that leadership would come in a, in a different way. Yeah, that, that, that's interesting. Uh, I did think about, well, literally, I thought about tall poppy, that phrase, uh, somewhere in this earlier in this conversation, and and the fact that um, you know Australia does have a different culture. It sort of thinks of itself as uh, a bit egalitarian, and and the and the that person at the top better watch themselves, otherwise someone's going to chop down the tall poppy one day. Uh, uh, so there is that 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 culture of of um, almost a disrespect of, of authority. Uh, I'm actually at the moment talking to you sitting in a hotel room in, in Manila. So when you 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 mentioned uh, Asian uh, cultures, Asian cultures indeed are, are, are also quite different. Uh, so we do have to be we do have to be careful when we're operating across cultures, but also. I think what you're saying is also understand what a particular culture is and know how to operate within it. Yeah, yeah I'm thinking about, um, so some of the countries in Southeast Asia have had military dictatorships and that's really done something to the way that the culture looks at authority and yes. interacts with authority. Other, other countries still do have just really very strong powers of authority that are put into place, which, which really keep people, I don't know, it's, 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 it's interesting to think about. And then you have also a lot of different governments in transition um, and how that's, and, and hi in the history of some of these countries as well and what that does to the authority dynamic. So yeah. in particular, I'm just wondering what your thoughts might be. And, and you know, th this can be done in a way that's very, uh, a bit of a generalization, but how do we cultivate leadership in in parts of Asia in the Pacific yeah good good question because sometimes and it's sort of to that what I mentioned before about the, the language of leader and the words leader and champion is um, you know a, a, a leader may be thought of by some and, and I've had this comment from the from uh, people on the African continent, the continent that uh, that that leaders sometimes paints the picture of 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 um, you know cruel dictator, uh, 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 and if you think of leader in the context of uh, Singapore, you think of Lee Kuan Yew, and that's not that's not a he certainly wasn't a cruel dictator, but he was a visionary and. Uh, um, and and was able to, I think, create a culture in that country of, uh, yeah, perhaps a little autocratic, but still, uh, you know, been very successful in its development in the last fifty years, or even thirty years. Uh, so, so um, uh, 
Yeah, as you say, you know, military uh, dictatorships, for example, perhaps create a particular culture in a, in, in, in a, I'm sure, create a particular culture in a country, uh, and and one where people are not prepared to uh, perhaps to take on uh, leadership roles. Uh, so I think as as those countries change and develop, we need to have. Here comes the commercial. You know, you know, IWC is very, very keen to to develop leadership in young, develop leadership capability and skills in in uh, in what we refer to as emerging leaders. So people who who are our future leaders. And uh, uh, you know, I I. I my generation, I don't think very many people got the chance to be to be trained uh, as a leader. Um, in in International Water Centre, we fundamentally believe that a, a leader can be trained, uh, and that we can. Um, uh, you know, it's it's not a case of you know you know leaders were, were were created in some sort of mold and then we broke the mold after they were born it was uh we we do believe we can develop leaders and and having these leadership skills can be what leads transformational change yeah absolutely uh because uh you know we would go further to say that uh that what we're Hoping to achieve in developing leaders is is develop people who who can influence, and and I suppose that's really perhaps what I, it should have been the word I used earlier in in t- talking in that healthy waterways context of um, the the you know, le- leaders influence they influence. Up, down, and and around themselves, uh, and um, and and when you've got a, a, a few of them, you know, uh, working on a common goal, uh, then that's mighty powerful. So, I think we, are, I, I am, am saying that that leaders are the are the ones. And I'll come to followers in a minute. But leaders are the ones who who uh, who start that transformational change process. I referred to followers. I think f- followers uh, are, are almost equally as important. Uh, you know, it's to some extent um, if you're wired the right way. Uh, being the leader who stands up and waves their arms, um, uh, you know, that's brave. But it's probably really braver to be the first follower. Uh, you know, so you've got this 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 person that's out the out the front making a noise, uh, with a whole lot of people saying he's a bit he or she's a bit weird. Uh, it's actually the the first follower I think that is uh, that is important, and I've had this uh, conversation with a, a few people. In fact, there's a um, there's a YouTube video that uh, uh, that sort of describes this really well. It's a group of people at a music concert, but it's it's a it's 
it's a really interesting demonstration of how that how followers are are, are important. Uh, it, it's almost the uh, uh, you know the, the the generals out in front, but the general's not going to do too, too much good unless he has an army behind him. So. And the army has to constantly probably push the general to make sure that the general is doing the right thing. Because <laughs> yes. when I'm thinking about this world of integrated water management and, and the challenges that practitioners face a lot of times is, well, I have just this much money, I have just this much time, I have just this much in terms of other supportive human resources. How do I make the best decision? How do I have the most beneficial impact for whatever community or problem I'm trying to solve? And it's hard sometimes because you can be extremely educated and trained in leadership and ready to go out there, but sometimes you're questioning yourself and, and saying, well, is this really the right way? Is this really the best approach? Are these really the right people? Um, is this the most suitable technology? I, am I even thinking about this properly? And, yeah. um, and having, whether it's followers or just others who are around who can help you think it through and make sense of it, yeah, and if I think about yeah. yeah, if I think about that, or uh, well, thinking and thinking about it as you're saying it, uh, um, uh, there's this you know line that's you know it's lonely at at, at the top. Uh, it's sort of I think it can be quite lonely in that leader space, which is what you're describing. I think, and 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 hence the need for uh, hence the need for mentors and coaches. You know, I think that. Uh, uh, we shouldn't be we shouldn't be shy uh, about admitting uh, or questioning as you described and then perhaps admitting well uh, I need some help uh, I, I, you know perhaps I need someone just to uh, just to share this um, these thoughts with so I think I think active actively uh, uh, establishing mentor, uh, perhaps and uh, uh, coaching relationships does become pretty important for 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 leaders. And, and once again, it's not just leaders at the top; it's leaders at at, at all levels. Uh, and and I think if you spoke to uh, spoke to people in in leadership positions. And ask them, did they have or have they had a mentor? I think a very large proportion would say yes. Yeah, mentoring is is it's an interesting relationship because, I mean, it's it, it is a relationship. It's not just a one-off conversation. You're forming right. a relationship with somebody to really start to understand how they think and approach things, to challenge your own ways of thinking, to help yep. you be more effective. But it's 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 also. It, it takes a lot of um, commitment from the mentor as well as from the mentee. And yes. again, I, I feel like there's cultural barriers to that in our busy, overextended lives. It's, it's really tricky to either provide that sort of support to somebody who needs that support or to find somebody who's willing to say, look, I'm happy to set aside a decent chunk of time to think about some of the issues that you're grappling with and to engage with you in the most appropriate possible way to help support you through this process over the long term. And in, in another interview speaking about this, um, Chris O'Neill had recommended that 
mentoring becomes a KPI for people who are seen as leaders, in a sense, because um, it helps to reinforce their their way of thinking and, and it helps them to be able to bring that way of thinking to others who are really looking for it. But it's really difficult because if you are a leader in this space, I think a lot of times uh, you don't have the time or the headspace to be able to to mentor others and to provide that support and it's not always seen within the culture of organizations as something that's worth the time spent. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's interesting. It, it's something that that's uh, interesting. The, the comment about it should be a KPI. I think I, I think I agree with that. If I think about it for not very long, uh, yeah. And it's also something that doesn't get talked about much uh, institutionally. You know, in in a either in a performance sense or in a role sense. Uh, uh, at least that's my experience in in, in Australia. Um, uh, I I suppose I, I I actually think that many people who who are who are the mentor in a mentor mentee relationship actually really appreciate being asked uh, and uh, you know being asked to be a mentor and um, and many will I think make the time because they will understand that they're getting something out of it as well. It's, this is not a one-way, not actually a one-way relationship uh, or a one-way benefit relationship. Can, uh, you, can you speak just a little bit about what mentors do get out of that experience? Because I'm sure that you've been a mentor for a number of people. Yeah, uh, and I think mentors get, um, mentors get challenged a bit uh, because if there's some person sitting across the coffee table from you and, and you're and they're asking your, your advice on something you, you're actually sitting there saying well gee I don't know if I don't know if I'm a good one to ask yeah <laughs> and you have to be honest about that uh, but also I think it does challenge it does literally challenge the the the, mentor, the mentor can be challenged, I think, by a circumstance or by a um, or by a um, um, yeah, just a you know, a way of thinking from another person. Perhaps particularly if there's a generation generational difference in uh, in age and experience. I think uh, I've certainly I think learnt from from. Um, from mentees, learn something. I can't be very specific. I can't point to something right now. But but I uh, I, I find it quite a satisfying uh, relationship. Do you see that more and more organizations are recognizing that building this into their leaders or people who show show some sort of leadership skills is happening at all? Um, I I see every once in a while this opportunity kind of bubbling up, but I'm wondering yeah. how people listening to this or ourselves as leaders can bring this idea into organizations and support this kind of learning. Yeah, good question. Um, I've, uh, I've seen it in the, actually the Australian Water Association, uh, in fact it's the young water professionals part of the Australian Water Association. 
for a few years now, like three years perhaps or four, uh, have been running mentoring programs as, a, as an industry association. And um, I've, I've certainly seen that, that organisations, the employers, if you like, are, are, are supporting that. I probably only see the ones that are supporting it, not the ones that don't. But um, uh, you know, my sense is that the, the the program, at least in Queensland and New South Wales, uh, has and IWC has been um, uh, supporting it in both of those states. Uh, I you know, I see it as a as growing in both acceptability, relevance, usefulness, uh, etc. Uh, you know, if I've, I've been involved in the Australian Water Association for for too long, probably, and <coughs> um, you know, you would never, uh, you know, ten years ago, you would never hear of a mentoring program being supported by the by the industry association. So, yeah, the world is changing, Karen. For the better, I think. Yeah, it's well. We have more opportunities to connect with one another with technology as well. So that's that true. Opens up a lot of possibility. Um, I I know that there are also coaching and mentor mentoring opportunities where you never actually meet the person <laughs> in yes. person who's mentoring you, but you can still gain from their experience and those connections. Yes. Yeah. There's a <clears throat> there's a friend of mine here who lives in. Uh, <coughs> Excuse me. Actually, he lives in two places. He lives here in Manila and also in, in Indonesia. I can never quite tell where he is. In fact, he's not here at the moment, uh, and, and I am. Uh, who who is actually um, uh, a, a remote coach for a number of people. Uh, uh, so, yes, technology technology does really does su support that and I think just general social media um, prevalence now supports the, the idea that we don't actually ha have to have a real cup of coffee between us it can be perhaps virtual um, and I, I wonder how people who are seeking mentors would go about finding others and I think there's really an opportunity within the Asia Pacific region for people to link to one another, but also to link with other people in Australia, and um, I, I think we can all really, as you described, learn from one another. Do you do you have any ideas of how that could be facilitated? Kind of a big question, but thought I'd put it yes. out there. Yeah, no, it's not a bad question. It's a good question. I think it's um, uh, once again, if I think about where I'm, I'm, I'm sitting. In fact, I'm, you know, when I look out the window of this hotel room. I don't know exactly where his office is, but there's a guy by the name of Chris Morris who, who's in the Asian Development Bank who who um, who's developed quite a network of or networks almost of, of youth uh, in in the Asian Asian region, and I think that um, in the water space uh, there there are some there are some networks uh, that are there that could be tapped into and perhaps Kinney might, might might even uh, cause some of that to happen or facilitate something Karen but I, I think there are there are some particularly in the youth 
water, water youth space, there are some networks that that uh, that could be leveraged uh, into that. I think there's there's a real importance in that person-to-person connection that's yeah. incredibly valuable because with Kinney we see this, with other social media platforms we see this, that if people don't know who else is paying attention, people are really hesitant to fully engage in a discourse publicly because they don't want to appear maybe uninformed about something or coming up with the quote-unquote wrong ideas, even though in this space there's very few of those. Um, People are hesitant to really engage in that virtual discourse. Uh, So the possibility of creating a match or links with other people, or maybe there has to be a a pool of people who, who identify themselves and say, look, I'd really like to benefit from this kind of mentoring relationship that you've discussed. Yeah, that's interesting. So perhaps we need um, perhaps we need matchmakers. Uh, I'm not quite sure what that looks like, um, but but in, indeed we are we we are social creatures, uh, and yes, the technology supports that. But at the end of the day, uh, uh, I, st- I still believe that the. the that there needs to be some face-to-face element in in that um, in that uh, that either either st- starts or supports that uh, the the virtual in- interaction. Um, my closing sure. question is about people who are really excited about the water space, who are, who are maybe really excited about some of the things that you've spoken about in this interview, whether it's, you know, champion slash leaders and leadership elements, um, bringing about change within organizations, forming boundary-spanning connections, um, or even just mentoring. What, what would you tell people? What would you like to, if they could take one little nugget of advice from you in terms of how to be more effective in their work linked with what we've discussed, what would you share with people? Uh, I think, I think that the advice would be to, to, um, yeah, to have faith, if you, faith in yourself and, a, and, 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 and a, a confidence in, in your own ability, uh, you know, to make a difference. Uh, so you know, sort of don't, don't, don't hide, uh, uh, particularly in those in those in those in those leadership uh, activities where you know if you've got an opinion about something, uh, then, then then kind of write it down, uh, and and after you've written it down, um, um, talk about it uh, with. Test it if you like with people close to you, but then sort of build the, build the confidence to, uh, to to make noise. There, there's a um, there's a there's a uh, an article uh, written about in fact 17 years ago by a guy by the name of Gary Hamill in the Harvard Business Review where he talked about uh, how to how to create an insurrection. There are seven. Seven, uh, seven things that I'm not going to be able to remember off the top of my head. But the first one is, the first one is write a manifesto. Uh, 
uh, others in that list of seven is create a coalition. Um, there's another one that's win, uh, win, win early, win often. Uh, there are there's some of these little tools that perhaps we we can put in our in our back pocket. Yeah, it'd be great to share those in the show notes with um, others. And I, yeah. I think about your your point about don't be shy. And yes, if there's something being said online in the virtual space, not to always hold back, but to to, to engage because um, through that engagement we can clarify the direction and understand better where we want to go. And and then with tools like you've just spoken of, uh, the seven, seven steps to insurrection, yeah. is that correct? Yeah. <laughs> Which is, it sounds radical. I love it. <laughs> um, then we can really start to, you know, chart the path for change. Yeah. Uh, yeah, look, I, um, uh, when when you and I spoke uh, a few days ago, Karen, I I referred to a book that I'd written. The context was social media, and I discovered from the descriptions in the book that I was a lurker, uh, and and that I sort of looked in on on the, I was more likely to look in on on uh, dialogues that were occurring in the social media uh, space. So perhaps some of us some of us are just you know, wired more in that. Uh, shy way but I've once I read that I started to uh, started to think well maybe I should say what I think sometimes when I see some nonsense or some, when you see a really good idea and you want to build upon yes, it and it. support yeah, it as it. well because that's right. <laughs> sometimes people are taking risks by putting their own knowledge or perspective out there and by not getting any feedback they don't really know if they're yeah, on the right, right track so it can go yeah. both ways because that's right. <laughs> Sometimes people are taking risks by putting their own knowledge or perspective out there and by not getting any feedback. They don't really know if they're yeah, on the right, right track. So, Keeney is an initiative of the Australian Water Partnership and the International Water Centre Alumni Network. Keeney connects water managers and shares knowledge throughout the Asia-Pacific. Visit our website at keeney.org.au for more information and for videos, articles, news and more.